Thank you, worship team. Kids, you're dismissed for Children's Church, so you can make your way to the back. And let's uh, take our Bibles. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, Thanksgiving season is a time for us to look at the blessings that God has given us and reflect on what blessings we have. But let's understand something. When it comes to what God gives us, when it comes to what He entrusts to us, He not only wants us to be grateful, He wants us to manage it. He wants us to be wise managers of what He gives us. Sometimes those gifts are material things, and we have to be wise in the way that we care for those things and protect them and use them. But sometimes it's opportunities to share and to serve and giftedness on our part that God gives us so that we can bless others around us with what God has given us. That's what I want us to see this morning. Whatever God entrusts to you, we have a responsibility to use it correctly, to use it rightly. And so as we come to this text, let's go in with eyes wide open. Now, one other preparation for this text. A lot of times when we come to a text and it talks about those who are wealthy, we immediately check out. We say, well, I don't qualify, I'm not wealthy. We think in terms of Bill Gates wealthy, billions of dollars. That's a wealthy guy. I'm not. Understand this. By the world's standards, there is not a person in this room who is not wealthy. When our church sent a missions group to Kenya, and I've shared this before, but it bears repeating, and I asked the pastor, who's now home with the Lord, what's the annual income? It was 500 and some dollars average for that church family. Annual. Not monthly, not weekly. Annual. That's poverty. We are blessed with a lot in this country. So that requires us to make sure that we have the right biblical perspective in managing what God has entrusted to us. So what we want to see first are perspectives on material blessings. And what we need to realize is this. What we have is very uncertain. Our present wealth can be gone in a moment. Jesus addressed this idea when he, in the Beatitudes, talked about what we treasure, what we value. Paul speaks about it here when he begins with, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. There's a temptation for us as human beings to look at the material things, to look at the things that we can see or touch or sense in some way, and to make that a priority in our lives. What the Word of God tells us is those things are uncertain. When Jesus spoke to the crowd that gathered there in the Sermon on the Mount, He said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, verse 21 is what really brings it together. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are the things that we value? What are the things that we look at and we say, this defines me? What are the things that we look at and we say, you know, if this was taken away, I would despair. For many of us, it's the material things that surround us. And it's such a subtle trap. It can draw us in. It can become something vitally important to us, causing us to forget what really counts, what really matters, what really lasts. God wants us to be people who view the material things that he's entrusted to us properly. And Paul begins to address this by, first of all, telling people not to be arrogant about it. Do people get arrogant about the material things that they have? You better believe it. It's awfully easy to be proud of something that God has blessed us with. And that word translated arrogant, let me read some of the other ways that it's rendered in some other translations. It's translated haughty, conceited, lifted up in their minds. As a matter of fact, the literal translation means high-minded. We need to be careful that we do not define ourselves or others by their wealth. And that's an awfully easy trap to fall into. You get around people in the world, and what's the first thing they ask? Where do you live? What do you do? If they're really gauche, they'll say, what do you make? (laughs) We really define ourselves and other people by what they make or their portfolio. And that's just biblically wrong. If I'm proud about what I have, and I look and I say, hey, I got everything I have by hard work, I'm a self-made man, I've lost perspective. I'm being foolish. I love the perspective that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians when he says this. Who makes you different from anyone else, and what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? None of us should ever look at what we have and say, I did this. We need to understand that it's not society that did it for us. It's not dumb luck that brought it about. It's God. It's about Him and not about us. So it's easy when we get into wealth and we start to say, you know, my security comes from my portfolio, the job that I have that provides so well for me, if we build our lives on the things that we have accumulated materially, we're backing the wrong thing in our lives. God is the one that brings those things to our life. So that's why Paul says here, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant. In other words, don't be full of yourself because of what you've acquired. But then he goes on to say this, nor to put their hope in wealth. You know, as I read this text, I thought, how easy is it for us to say, I've been really disciplined in my savings, and I have a good savings account, so 
I'm thankful. I've worked hard in my job, and they value me as an employee. How great is that? I have a secure job. My retirement, I've put away for that. And now I can just count on the fact that that's going to be waiting for me, and I'll get to go and live life the way I always dreamed I would live it in my golden years. What do we find? One illness can wipe out a life savings, right? One stolen identity can rock all that you've put into in savings. One turn of events and everything changes. If we put our hope in these things, we put our hope in things that are uncertain. And that's the warning that the Word of God gives us in this text. Don't hope in these things. Yes, you're to be wise, you're to plan, you're to invest, you're to put things away for a rainy day. That is a biblical principle that is true. But where it becomes wrong is when I say, hey, this is what I count on. This is my security. Because that security can be taken like that. We need to understand that. Work toward it, save toward it, invest toward it, but don't count on it. Don't make that who you are as a person. Don't make that the focal point of your hope. That's what Paul is saying here. We need to be careful in these things. So rather than hoping in these material blessings, what are we to do? We're to place our hope in God and enjoy His provision. Look at what verse 17 goes on to say. We aren't to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. We're to put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love this text. First of all, it reminds us that we're to put our hope in God. It's so easy for us to become distracted. I'm putting my hope in the fact that if I've saved properly, if I live a healthy life, that everything's going to be okay. But what do we discover? That disease that comes along that's unanticipated winds up to not be what we hoped it would be as far as our life continuing as it has. I love a line by George Burns. Many of you who are older remember George Burns. He was a guy that just lived to be ancient. And he lived a very unhealthy lifestyle. The guy was a chain cigar smoker. Probably had too much alcohol as well. But his line was this. I get all of my exercise being a pallbearer to the health nuts that I know. That was his outlook. Listen, we can't count on these things. Life is not always fair. It often brings us unanticipated things. That secure job can go bye-bye, right? And then when the secure job goes bye-bye, the savings that I had for this now goes to living until I find another job. There are so many variables, so many things, so much uncertainty with everything but one, and that is God. 
As believers, we need to put our hope in God. And we should never plan, never look ahead without God being factored into the picture. James addresses this beautifully in James chapter 4 where he says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Do you see what's going on? If I plan my life, if I live my life as if there is no God, leaving him out of the equation, not hoping in him, then I've lost perspective. Our lives are brief. And you know, the older I get, the more I discover, the less I really control. As a matter of fact, what I'm discovering is <laughs> I control nothing. Absolutely nothing. So if I hope in the things that are uncertain, I've invested in a foolish thing. But if I hope in God, that's what lasts. That's what we need to really make the focal point of our lives. Whether we have plenty or little, we can hope in God. Whether we have a lot of material blessing and a great life around us, or whether we are struggling and things just are not going our way, it seems like everything bad that can happen is happening. If I make the ease of life the focal point of my life, I'm setting myself up for disappointment and for failure. But when we focus on God, He is the one constant. He is the one who will see us through. That's why we need to hope in Him. There's something else, though, in this text. Notice it says at the end of that 17th verse that we are to put our hope in God. But look at what it says about God. We are to hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, you can go too far in the other direction. And you can start to say, the material things that I have are a curse. I'm going to live a life of asceticism. I'm going to deny myself everything so that I can show how spiritual I am. And that's wrong as well. Do you realize that God has blessed us with material things and it's okay for us to enjoy those material things? A friend of mine was in a church and he had inherited a beautiful Cadillac. So he drives this beautiful, relatively new Cadillac into the church parking lot and the next Sunday he is immediately approached by the pastor and the chairman of the trustee board. And they said, we've been looking at your giving, and we expect that your giving will be commensurate with your new lifestyle. Now, they didn't know that it was given to him. They didn't know that he was being responsible. Steward, he was a good giver. He was a proportionate giver to what God had given him. And they made this judgment because it was wrong for him 
to enjoy a new car like this. That's not what Paul is talking about here. God has richly blessed us with things for us to enjoy. You don't have to go and live in the worst possible way that you can and just survive. You can enjoy it. But there are two ends to the spectrum. One is austerity. The other one is luxury. So you hit a balance. You take what God has given you and you use it for His honor and for His glory, but it is not a sin to enjoy the things that God offers you in the way of blessing as well. When God gives you blessing, it's right and it's good to receive that blessing and to enjoy it. Which brings us to our next point. Priorities for the wealthy. Now, once again, let me reiterate, probably every person in this room, by world standards, could consider themselves wealthy. When we look at this text in verse 18, it goes on to say this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. What we need to understand is the priorities of our wealth are laid out for us right here in this text. And we need to be careful to make sure that we use our wealth properly. Yes, enjoy the blessing that God brings into your life, but don't hoard it. Don't become stingy. Be a person who is open to using what God blesses you with to bless others. That's the perspective that we should have on our wealth. So let's look at what Paul says a little more carefully. Verse 18, first of all, they are to do good. Now, we look at this and we say, okay, do good. That's kind of general, isn't it? But here's the idea. God has benefited us, so it is right for us to share those benefits with other people. If I am stingy, if when I open up my wallet to help somebody and it creaks and cracks because it happens so seldom... I probably have an issue where I need to be a little more wise and a little more giving when it comes to other people. We need to do good with it. And by the way, to do good means that either I identify individuals and give to them or a trusted organization that does good, who has that vetting and screening process, takes the resources that I have, and they do good with it. It doesn't matter how you do good with it, just that you do good, that you benefit others with the material blessings that God's given you. That's important for us. It's biblical. It's godly. But then it goes on. In addition to saying that we do good with it, it goes on to say that we are rich in good deeds. Not only is it talking about our material blessings, but it's talking about actions, for many who come into a time in their life where their wealth frees them up for more time in other areas, part of that time should be invested in doing good, in good deeds, in serving. This is what God wants us to do with the time that he gives us. For many, that might even be retirement. Suppose God richly provided for your retirement, and you now have some more time freed up, you take that opportunity to do good, to serve God, to serve others. 
This is what we as believers should do when God blesses us in that way. But then it goes on and it says something else. In addition to doing good, to being rich in good deeds, it says we're to be generous. You know, generosity really demonstrates that we control our material goods rather than the other way around. When I am generous with something, it means that I am demonstrating God's mercy and God's grace to those around me, and it reveals good character. I love what Solomon wrote. In the Proverbs, he says, a generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Isn't that a great principle? Our generosity isn't something that depletes us. Our generosity is something that invigorates us. And I have this conviction. When I am generous, God will open the door for me to be even more generous as I, by faith, step out in generosity. Look at what he says in Proverbs 22.9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. God wants to see us demonstrate, to model mercy, compassion, grace. So part of our responsibility as those who have been blessed with material goods is to do good with it by being generous. And then finally, willing to share. Literally, this has the idea of blessing the community that we are a part of. The word share is a word in the original language that is from the same root word for fellowship. And it carries with it the idea that I invest my time and my money in the fellowship that I am a part of. That's the idea. In other words, it's building the community of the church body with which we share. That's part of our responsibility when God has blessed us in this way. Now, look at verse 19. And as we go on with the priorities for those who are wealthy, he talks about a perspective that we're to have. And that perspective is this. We're to prepare for what lasts. When he tells us not only to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to share, in verse 19 he goes on to say this. In this way they lay up for themselves a firm foundation, or lay up treasure for themselves, a firm foundation. Now let's talk about what that means. You can build an empire on this world, but what happens the moment you die? Like we saw a couple of weeks ago, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses, right? You can't take it with you. But there is something that you can take with you. And those are things that are done for eternity because we have a rich reward. God recognizes the things that we do to serve Him. And there is reward in that that we as believers need to recognize lasts and won't be taken away from us. Now here, it is not talking about our eternal reward in the sense of heaven. When you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... You are a part of heaven. You are a citizen of heaven, we're told in God's word. What it's talking about, though, is I believe some of the responsibilities that we might have in serving during Christ's reign on earth. What we find very often in Scripture is this. Jesus Christ is returning. For a thousand years, he will reign here on earth. And the degree to which I am faithful now 
will determine the responsibilities that I share in Christ's kingdom. So if I'm a schlub and I do nothing here, that will be reflected in my responsibilities in the kingdom. And by the way, if you are blessed with long life, you're looking at about a hundred and change, right? Compare that to the longer-term kingdom, and it's a poor investment to invest in the things of this life, right? We need to understand that. Paul said this to the Corinthians, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now, what we hear, have here is, is, is a picture of like a, a, a brazen altar. And we take all of our good deeds and we pile it on this altar. And some of our good deeds look like gold and silver and precious stones. And some of our good deeds look like waste, sticks, straw, stubble, where they've cut the wheat and there's just little pieces of wheat stalk. And what this brazen altar does is it, it burns to see what lasts and what goes up. Now here's the key. The things built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, gold, silver, precious stones. When that fire heats up, they remain. But the things that were done for me, the things that were invested in to make my life more comfortable, the things that I did for self-glory, those are the things that are the wood, straw, and stubble. So here is this day that tests it. And here's what we find. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Scripture speaks quite often about the reward that we receive, not our salvation, but recognition of a job well done by the Lord Jesus Christ, which has direct bearing on the responsibilities that we're given later. If we're faithful in this life and the few things, we will be given greater responsibility. That's the principle of Scripture. So we receive that reward. But then look at verse 15. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, it's not talking about the flames of hell. It's talking about the flames of this discerning, this judgment about what we've done with our lives. So when Paul says here that we're to lay up for ourselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, I believe that's what he's talking about. We need to have that long-term eternal perspective, not selling short on investing our lives in the material things of this world, but investing our lives in the things that are of God. And then look at what else he says. Not only do we lay up for ourselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age, but we take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, last time we were together, we saw an encouragement that we're to take hold of the eternal life to which we have called. I think a similar statement is being made here. And here's, here's what he's saying. Not only do you have that which is coming after this life to look forward to, but you have many rich blessings in this life as well. 
Some people accuse Christians of a pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by mentality. Everything that we talk about is the future. There's nothing that really is good for us in this life. Boy, are those people wrong. God gives us an abundant life in this life. There is a true blessing that we receive in what God does in our lives and for us right here in this life. The fulfillment that we experience by an ever-deepening relationship with God through Jesus Christ can't be compared, can't be compared to the best that this world has to offer us. This world offers us fleeting things. God offers us a life after this life and a life right here and right now. And we can lay hold of that. We can embrace it. We can experience the good things that God has for us here and now. Paul talked about this when he said to the Corinthians, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Isn't that a great perspective? Compared to knowing Jesus and experiencing the fullness of that relationship, the best that was in my life before and the best that's around me, that's loss. Knowing Christ and experiencing that deepening relationship with Him, that's gain. He goes on to say he wanted to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of His own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Do you want to have an exciting, full life? Live the life of faith. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be rough patches. doesn't mean that there won't be testing. God promises that those things will come. But he is the one who sees us through, who sustains us by his grace who is that constant one in our lives. That's where we find our hope. Finally, the last part of this text. We've been looking at material things. But understand this. There are also things that are entrusted for us to do, and that's where Paul shifts from those who are blessed by God materially to Timothy. Now, bear in mind, this letter of Timothy was to be read publicly. It's the Word of God. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, I think, is expanded not only to Timothy, but to all of us. And we want to draw some principles from this last thing. God entrusts to us not only material things, but also ministerial things, things that we do in serving one another. So what does Paul tell Timothy first? First, he tells them to protect what has been entrusted to him. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Do you recognize that pastors are called to ministries and God entrusts the flock to their care? It's a huge responsibility. It's an important calling. The pastors aren't the only ones called to ministry. Each of us has a job that we can do in serving God here at Oakland Bible Church. And we need to be faithful to guard what God entrusts to our care. Now, in the context of this text, 
Timothy is being told to guard the flock from false teachers, dividers, who are coming into the church at Ephesus and causing a lot of trouble. As we've seen before, this was not something unexpected. When Paul was speaking to the elders of Ephesus in a place called Miletus, he gave them this charge, keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I've never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So when Paul is telling Timothy in this text, guard what has been entrusted to you, there is that responsibility in church leadership to protect the flock. A serious responsibility to guard the flock from the damage that can come from individuals who would divide. But then we also find this. We are to part company with false teachers that harm the church. Look at what he says. Next statement in that 20th verse. Turn away from godless chatter, opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some had professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. You know what the Scripture is telling us there? Number one, don't become engaged in godless chatter. Now, godless chatter is basically running off at the mouth about things that divide us rather than things that draw us into unity. Literally, it has the idea of profane, empty utterances. So it has the idea we we can focus on things that are inconsequential, And we can divide over them. But we can also focus on other things. Look at what else he warns about. Not only was there this godless chatter, but there was also opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. There was a situation in Paul and Timothy's time where there were the beginning rumblings of a terrible doctrine that would become known as Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism was basically kind of taking some ideas from the Bible and some ideas from Greek philosophy, and mixing them all together and coming up with some very bizarre and odd ideas. And here's what happened. The Gnostics would later become people who would draw many away into this false doctrine. And what they would do is tell people that one of two things, either what you do really doesn't matter because the flesh is destroyed and only the spirit survives and the flesh is evil anyway, so when you do evil things, you're just doing what the flesh has. Or they would go in the other direction and say, you need to beat your flesh and bring it into submission because the flesh is so evil, the only way to do it is to beat and deny and to experience a life of austerity. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, Stay out of this. Stay away from it. Turn away from it and guard the church by not allowing it to infect the church body. God entrusts many things to us, many blessings. As believers in the United States in this day and this time, 
we have an abundance of material blessings. Even if your checkbook reads empty, you're still wealthy by the standards of this world. I know that's hard to buy at this time, but it's the truth. So what are you doing with the blessings that God has given you? We don't want to hoard. We don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be committed to luxury. But by the same token, we look at the blessings that God has given us, and we need not be ashamed of enjoying what God has given us as well. There has to be balance. And the same pertains to what God entrusts to us as far as ministry. You have a spiritual gift. If you are a believer, you have a spiritual gift. What are you doing with it? You have opportunity to serve others, and God, in that still small voice, will say, go and help so-and-so. What do you do with it? Do you look at it and say, eh, not right now? Or do you listen? Do you go and minister those that God entrusts to you? Listen, when we get our perspective right on these things, we hit that sweet spot of living life that is really life, not all the smoke and mirrors of what the world tells us is life, but we live what God tells us is life, and we benefit. Let me encourage you, go for that life. And then additionally, we lay up for ourselves treasures for the coming age. Listen, there's nothing wrong with seeking to build up those treasures that last. That is the exercise of faith where we trust God for the unseen. So let me ask you this morning. Are you living your life by what is seen? Is your security tied up in the things that you can measure? Or are you looking to the life that is really life? a life that trusts God, and a life that lays up treasures for the coming age. What you value and trust and put your hope in will definitely determine your behavior. Go for the things that last. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the reminder that it is to us that we in this fleeting life, can so easily lose perspective. Dear God, let us be people who serve by trusting and placing our hope in you. Father, my prayer this morning is if there is one here who, who doesn't know you and doesn't know you to put their hope in, I pray that they would understand that you offer them eternal life, forgiveness of sin. They don't have to live by the things of this world that come and go and are uncertain, but that they can live by having a personal faith in Jesus Christ, by confessing their sins before you, God, and turning from their sin to the provision of Jesus Christ who died on the cross in our place that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Let each of us know what it is to move toward that life that is truly life. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.